Two Fingers Pointing to the Moon by Xander Simmons Part 1 Traces Chapter 1 Allow your thoughts to settle. Bring your attention to the breath. Focus on the breath. I wonder what they'll have for breakfast today. Maybe they'll be thick. They never have Just get to the front of the line. On the breath. What's that tune? It won't go away. Why does that keep getting stuck in my head? head? It reminds me of something. Something that happened. What was that again? Don't think about it. Just focus on the breath. If a thought should come, acknowledge it and return to the breath. Wasn't it when we were in India? It's only 9am and we're already here. Focus on the breath. Yeah, yeah. Focus on the breath. But am I ever going to get anywhere? But you're not meant to get anywhere. It's all about the journey, not the destination. That's such a fucking cliche. What's the point of all this anyway? It's just one fucking breath after another. Focus on the breath. My legs hurt. I'm feeling kind of distracted today. I made sure to keep myself hidden at the edge of the tree line as the two figures scrambled their way towards the steep green bank. On to the, the breath. I wonder what I'm going to do tomorrow. I'm so bored of this routine. I wonder what they have for breakfast today. Let's get to the front of the line. I wonder if I'm becoming too predictable. I wonder what they have for breakfast today. Return to the breath. Return to the breath. I'm never sure on the breath. Sarah's always saying she starts to lose its meaning after a while. Return to the breath. The thought should come. If a thought should come, acknowledge and return it. to the breath. I wish they had a piano here. The kitchen is kind of ugly. Thickly really. yellow paint. Go of the past. Notice the mind. I need to see myself hidden cling in the tree line. Two figures scrambled their way through the tree line. Somehow I knew they were coming right to the bunker, to the hideout I had discovered just a few days earlier. Or was it weeks? It was always so hard to tell. But in this moment, for the return first to time, the breath. Let go of the past. Focus on the breath. Let your mind go under. I'm sitting by the angel fountain. Water is spurting from its mouth. Go of the past. Water is spurting from its mouth. The angel staring up projecting wide eyes. The past is your pain. The angel plump, jet full, body lips, pulsing in sunlight. 
just one hour before the water was streaming out from his mouth. Let go of your pain. Moaning and sobbing. Let go of the past. Focus on the breath. Bold's warm song brought us back into the room, a plain white room that housed all 50 of us residents for the morning meditation session. We sat there cross-legged on small hard cushions arranged in rows, whose midpoints aligned with two narrow eyes and a pair of thin lips. Thin, cracked lips that spoke softly and deliberately of the minute undulations of the present moment on which we were to focus our attention. A fragile attention, we were told, always in jeopardy of falling into the chasm of memory from which we were trying to free ourselves. To free ourselves. Yes, that was the goal. But it was always difficult to focus so early in the morning. Having been summoned from your bed before sunrise, you found yourself somewhere between sleeping and waking, the mind dancing between trails of half-finished thoughts cloaked in wisps of memory as it tried, again and again, to anchor itself on the breath. This is why they used the soft songs of the singing bowls to help remind you of your focus. And then, gradually, the sound would swell like the sea, its waves seeming to emanate from the walls around you, penetrating your thoughts and rescuing you from the vague comforts of memory. Erasing all those little tunes that got stuck in your ear, that threatened to take you away with them into the past. Your head would go under the waves. You'd be submerged. It might seem at first like you're drowning, they had said. But in fact, these were benign waters, flushing out toxins, purging you of darkness. Eventually, you learned how to breathe water like it was air. A wailing like a mermaid's call filled your awareness guiding you into the abyss and then, when all fell silent, you were left only with the breath. The breath and nothing else. A soft serenity had settled. My mind had stopped spinning and could torment me no longer. I became aware of every tiny movement around me, every micro-adjustment of posture, each fluctuation of breath, even the direction of the gaze of the person next to me. Just as I'd expected, I saw a face turn towards me, holding me in its stare. Our eyes met briefly. There was a flicker of recognition. Yes, we had sat next to each other in this plain white room for many days. And yes, we might even have been assigned to some small task weeks before. The garden, perhaps? 
Was it there that we had found ourselves, soaked by the autumn rain, shivering and laughing? The face seemed both familiar and alien at the same time, offering, yet denying, consolation. But consolation from what? Wasn't I happy? As we observed each other, I felt the water's still surface rippling, a current of energy tearing at my chest. The face turned away after only a few seconds, but the soft serenity had already disappeared. I closed my eyes and tried to focus on the breath. The bowl's warm song brought us back into the room, a plain white room filled with men and women sitting cross-legged on the floor. We faced in one direction, towards two narrow eyes and a pair of thin, cracked lips from between which came the final words, always the same words that wish joy to all beings everywhere. May all beings find peace and happiness. You felt lighter when you heard those words, silently repeating them back to yourself. The morning session was at an end. We stood together. We bowed together. We saluted our gurus together. They hung there silently, those two wizened faces looking down from the front wall, forever watching, with sharp eyes that demanded our focus and closed lips that demanded our silence. I looked discreetly to my left, trying to catch another glimpse of the half-remembered face, but now, turned obediently forward, it was fully obscured by the folds of its hood. We were all dressed like this, in loose, hooded robes that obscured most of who we were. But that was the point, of course, because we were not to be confused with these mortal bodies, frail and sullied as they were. These were merely vessels that housed the light, the life, the truth, and the way. And yet, despite all this, despite the garments and the teachings and the mantras, I found myself fixating on those big green eyes that had been peering out at me from behind the lip of a turquoise hood one winter's morning. The room emptied itself in the usual orderly way, residents filing out from the centre, some to the left, some to the right. He walked right, I walked left. Eyes were downcast and feet moved softly. The well-oiled mechanics of daily existence began clicking into gear, and as I left the hall my thoughts couldn't help but drift towards breakfast, clinging to the prospect of fresh figs and honey and yoghurt. There had been figs yesterday, I thought, but that was yesterday. The present is its own reward, I had been told, again and again, but the stomach has a stubborn memory. In the hallway, I saw Ulu and nodded my head in greeting. There was no speaking allowed in this part of the house, but we would no doubt speak later on during work duty. For as long as I could remember, we had been chopping vegetables in the kitchen for the communal lunchtime feast. He would do the onions. He found them satisfying to chop and seemed to be immune to their eye-watering attacks. I would wash the salad, buckets and buckets of it. Although music was forbidden here, Sometimes the cooks would make their own polyrhythmic culinary soundscapes, banging on pots and pans and running their utensils over different surfaces to add texture. Someone would set a rhythm, 
and others would join in, accenting the strong beats. Someone might pick up a jar and start shaking it. And then gradually we'd add more and more rhythms, more and more textures, until the whole kitchen was humming with life. That's Zulu now, drumming on a glass bottle. And the other cooks join in, banging on anything that's at hand. Pots, pans, containers, even the large metal ovens and grain silos. life would begin to align itself again. Broken connections were re-established, and you'd see yourself sitting there, sitting there by the angel fountain, looking up into his deep and generous eyes. I'm sitting by the angel fountain. Water is spurting from its mouth and Ethan is staring up at it, wide-eyed. He takes a swig from his bottle and imitates the angel, projecting a well-controlled stream from between his lips. Plump, full-bodied lips that pulse in the sunlight. Just one hour before, the water was streaming not from his mouth, but from his eyes and nose. He was wailing and screaming, moaning and sobbing. It had been a weekend of drugs, dancing and desperate declarations, and today, Sunday, we'd opened the doors of perception just that little bit wider, letting us look back into those forlorn, forgotten places. We'd spent three hours hiding in the trees while we let the accumulated goo and gunk pour out of us. I'd never seen him so bare, so vulnerable. But now there is that playful smile conjured between big lips, and that laugh like a shout rippling into mirth. 
The warmth of the evening is quickly departing and the drumming circle in front of us is beginning to break up. Just beyond them, I notice two young men with cameras walking purposefully in our direction. I nudge Ethan in warning, pointing them out with my eyes, worried that they will notice just how high we are. But it's too late to act. They are already almost standing over us. They want to film us, they say. They're making a documentary about young people's political persuasions, and they'd like to ask us some questions. We're bashful, and we try our best to brush them off, but they insist. They say we have a glow about us. That's why they approached us. So we agree. Feeling myself on more solid ground than him, I take the lead, deftly fielding their questions as if I'd never ingested that tab and a half of acid. He's more withdrawn, but nonetheless present, making luminous interjections here and there. A certain clarity has emerged. Everyone is laughing. Everyone is at ease. After the filmmakers have left, a young woman comes bounding over to us from the path. Her friend wants a date, she says. We spy a young woman in the distance, casting nervous looks in our direction. Confused, we ask which one of us she would like to take out. Either one, she replies. We exchange glances. Whoever's available, she adds. Seeing my hand creeping up onto Ethan's leg, she quickly gets the message and awkwardly scurries off. Ulu tore through the swing doors, leaving them to flap frantically in his wake. His face was flushed, his eyes wide open and active. Without acknowledging anyone, he set to chopping the mountain of onions on the far counter. I observed him for a few minutes before returning to work. This wasn't the Ulu whose grace and poise outshone even the most devoted of us residents. Usually he would simply materialise through the doors like a stream of softly exhaled smoke, barely disturbing them from their hinges. And before starting his chopping, he would approach the sink where I was working and lay a gentle hand on my right shoulder. We would exchange a few forbidden, whispered words before starting on our individual tasks. Sometimes Sarah would even join us from across the kitchen. No one seemed to mind. It was understood that small exceptions had to be made for everyone's sanity. No one except Eric, that is. Eric would cast suspicious glances from the hot stove, willing us to be silent. He would cough and splutter and shuffle around, passively communicating his disapproval. Would he expose us? We would ask each other in the evenings before retreating to our dormitories. It seemed unlikely. Fear trampled on his every action, and reporting us to a master would be no different. So, despite his weak protestations, we would stand there, the three of us, checking in on each other exchanging stories, telling jokes. But not today. Today's Ulu's nervous energy suffused into the air around us, made it heavy, creating stifling silences between the flurries of chopping and grating. Silences that lengthened. This is the space that memory fills. It hugs our lives like a winter coat, protecting us from the bitter cold of the present. I felt mine trying to click in to relieve the tension, to take me away from here into the warmth of remembrance. But in the end, there was only silence.